everybody. This is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life, because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. That's true. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, the premier free writing magazine on the internet, featuring articles on writing and the writing life, as well as video interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres. Find Author Magazine at authormagazine.org, and we are funded by the good people at the Pacific Northwest Writers Association, supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955. You can learn more about the PNWA at pnwa.org. So, yeah, we had a great conversation with Charlotte Maya, who's written her memoir, first book, but she, uh, her husband committed suicide when she was 39, I think, and... Um, she wrote all about it, did a great job. You know, it was a good conversation. We talked about, obviously, what it is to go through that and recover from it and how she found love again and about the writing of the book. But I should say that, obviously, suicide, not a happy topic, but I refuse to have a downer conversation. I'm not going to do it. And so that is not the kind of conversation we had. I think it was an uplifting conversation. And uh, I'm really glad I had it. She's a very cool woman. Uh, she uh, practiced trust and estate planning law uh, initially, and then she decided to raise a family. But her uh, husband committed suicide, and she her, since then her writing has explored the intersection of grief, parenting, and self-care, particularly within the context of suicide. Her work has been highlighted in Hippocampus Magazine and on The Mighty, and she has been featured on the A to A, A, to A Alliance and the Your Next Chapter podcast with Angela Raspus. And we had a great chat, and I'm get, glad I got to share it with you. Enjoy. Okay. Well, look who it is. Charlotte Maya, a freshly minted author. How are you doing, Charlotte? I'm well, Bill. I'm very excited. Thank you so much for including me today. Oh, happy to have you on. Uh, as I just mentioned, uh, when this podcast drops, which is a few days from now, you will be a debut author. It's publishing day. Um, obviously, not the book you might have wanted to write if you'd first written your first book. We'll get to that in a moment. But how are you feeling as the day approaches? Nervous? Exhausted? Confused? Yes, different? all of the all the, all the feelings. I'm excited. I'm anxious. I'm um, I'm grateful. Yeah, yeah. So the book is is um, Sushi Tuesdays, a memoir of love, loss, and family resilience. Um, it's it's a book about you getting past your husband's suicide, as you're you and your family recovering from your husband's suicide. I want to get into that, uh, but first, early on in the book you mentioned kind of offhandedly uh before this is very early this is before your your husband took his life you said oh i was looking for what to do you had kids you didn't know what to do with yourself and you had mentioned very briefly a writing project or something so my mm -hmm. question to you is uh was writing sort of something that you had been sniffing around through your life before this book Yes. Well, I was an English major in college, but I didn't start off that way. I started off engineering and oh. I did well in my engineering classes. And yeah. I took English because I thought it would be an easy A. 
And you people. (laughs) I know, right? I had, I had AP'd out of the class. I'd taken the advanced placement English. And so Uh I didn't actually have to take the class. So that's why I thought I would do well in it. And my first paper came back with a C minus. And, and you, you little, and you are such a type A probably that you like, this is not happening to me. Like, Hello, do you know who I am? <laughs> That's right, right. <laughs> so I worked really, 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 really hard in my next paper. I got a C and I worked what? really, 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 really hard. My next paper was C plus. Wow. And about halfway through the term, I hit the B minus and my last paper of the class was an A and I loved working on those papers in a way that I didn't love calculus or physics or chemistry. So this is so interesting. Okay. Cause I talked to so many writers, Charlotte, so many of them, both students, clients, and of course, all the authors I interview. And this is an unusual relationship to writing. Most writers, it is an easy A. In other words, whether you go into writing or, or engineering, you know, I, I've writers. I know writers who are engineers or lawyers like yourself, like so many, so many. But the writing actually comes pretty easy in class, in class, but not for you. And yet, and this is quite a credit to you, you enjoyed it despite the lack of your normal ex, uh, excelling. It was Talk like a puzzle. To me about that. Yeah, it was like a puzzle. I really enjoyed cracking, and. Kudos to my teacher as well. The, the professor was fantastic. She was very encouraging. And even though the papers came back with red marks all over them, like I'd never seen before, <laughs> she, she could see something there. And she kept encouraging me to read more, to write more. And what do you think she saw? You're such a young, you're such a young kid. I mean, you're still, you got college age is so young, you know, but what did she see, do you think? That's a great question. I haven't thought about that, Bill. <laughs> I think I think partly she was an optimist. She was somebody who had been a minister before she got her PhD in literature. So she had also had wow. her own sort of interesting wow. path to where she landed. So I think she really believed in students in general. But I think she could see I was really paying attention and really trying and really I thought about things maybe a little differently. And Hmm. as writers, that's often or as readers, that's often what we look for. Right. Yeah, absolutely. On the the same old story. Well, yeah. You know, your job is to help because, you know, you're talking about life, you know, and, you know, you have memoir memoirs are all the same story in a lot of ways. Like, I didn't think I could do this and I did. I didn't think I could get through it, but I did. But we need to, we all live that again and again and again. And so if you can help us see it, see life that we are all living and does kind of repeat itself in a lot of ways, but if you can see it new and from a better perspective, oh, what a gift. So, and okay. And if you can get into somebody else's head, right? Like I sometimes imagine the reader as a little elf on my shoulder. And if I can bring them with me and show them what I see and how I'm thinking about it, that's the challenge. Uh, now, that's a good way to look at the reader. I've written an entire book called Fearless Writing about how to ignore the reader, but that is to ignore whether you think they'll like your stuff or not. Very different. The What you were you were. Te- you were Treating them as someone you love, really, uh, which is a different relationship than some of us have, <laughs> at least to the critic. Okay, so but but you become a lawyer, an estate lawyer, is that correct? Yes, I did. I practice ah. trust and estate 
law oh, in one of the ironies that is my life. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really sort of genteel area to practice law because most of the time clients really appreciate that you're oh. doing yeah. something that they need. I will tell you, I, a friend's husband is an estate lawyer and he said, I love 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 my job and he just loves i guess there's because there's such an emotional aspect to the work that can sometimes be missing from law that is can be a lot of just terror and frustration i think when you come to a lawyer but for him there's a sense of there's something else so okay so you become a state lawyer um you marry a lawyer who changes careers but you both start off your little drivers you're going you're getting your age you're going to be successful down there and you were right you were Mm -hmm. It's fine. You know how to do that. Did you did you write at all during that time, or was it just okay? Now I've got the blinders on. I am lawyer. I am mom. There's just no time for anything else. I didn't have a lot of time for writing. I read a, a fair amount, as much as I could. I've always been an avid reader, and sometimes I'd I'd read read articles about mothering, for example, and think, oh, I have something to say there. I could sure. I could write something like that. Sure. But I am a terrible journaler. I keep cryptic notes in my calendar, but I don't journal consistently like a lot of people do. And so I really was looking forward to the kids going to school first right. and third grade. So, sure. oh. it, you know, Oh, those when they first go to the same school at the same for the same oh. hours. Oh, at the same my place, God. It's like. You have oh. a whole hour to yourself. Oh, it's what fantastic. I do with an hour a day to myself. So I I was really looking forward to writing. I cannot remember now, Bill, what I thought I was going to write about. Right. Interesting. But you but you know, that that's not unusual. The desire to write often precedes anything to write about. You know, the there's story a, that wants to be told. Oh, you know, I write but well, I write two essays a week usually. And often I sit down with like I got I know I'm going to write something. I have no idea what. I mean, I know the general theme, but so the desire is there, but then you need something to match it. You know, it's funny. I remember we had, I have two kids and I remember the first day the younger one was off at whatever, maybe it was preschool, maybe it was kindergarten. And I was like, oh my God, for the first time in six years, whatever it was, there's not a kid in the house that I need to think about. And I just said to my wife, let's go to the grocery store. <laughs> That's life again. It was just glorious. I thought, thank God for public schools. And so it's a luxury oh, to go fantastic. by yourself, isn't it? Oh my God. So, all right. But of course this is a, you, you handle the story with great humor and honesty. Um, but obviously it's not a happy story. Uh, at least not the beginning of it, which is that your husband of you've been married 17 years. And by all accounts, according to according to you, it was a good marriage. There was there was real genuine friendship and affection there. Yeah. Yes. yes. Yeah. Which, mm-hmm. you know, not a guarantee uh, in a marriage. Right. You can, no. you know, and but yours was. Uh, but then after at 2007, he yes. quite to everyone's surprise, takes his own life now memoirs i've interviewed a lot of memoirs who deal with death that's a frequent theme um and each but i think that you know whether it's a a love a parent or spouse or child you know usually it's the close one i would think that in fact i'm working with a client now who's writing about his wife's suicide so he's Mm. gone through the same thing i and it seems to me maybe you can talk a little bit about this there is a unique confusion that surrounds 
espouses suicide or child suicide because you have to go through the sense of responsibility, guilt. I mean, I don't know how you wouldn't yes. punish yourself just a little bit. So a lot. To, first, let's just talk a little bit about what that is to be someone, a widow whose husband took his own and what that sort of does to you psychologically. Well, suicide is such a messy, complicated death. And it is. It's very confusing. There are all the feelings, the grief, rage, guilt, and it can be particularly thorny to disentangle because the person that you love and are grieving is also the person who left. There's a feeling of abandonment. And when I say left... I believe suicide is not is an illness. It's not a choice. It's not a crime. It's right. an illness. But the impact is still that my children and sure. I felt abandoned. Right. And so it is a very complicated, difficult, particular shade of grief. When the policemen were at my house to let me know about Sam's death, They said something that really guided my process forward. They said, we will tell the children that their father died, but you will have to tell them how. And we recommend that you tell them the truth because you do not want them to find out from somebody else. Right. And at a time when nothing made sense, that made sense. You could hear that. You could really take, you could, you you trusted them. I trusted them. I believed them. And as a result... My children trusted me for honest answers to life's very difficult questions. Yeah. The children were six and eight when their father died. So I didn't give them a treatise on depression or physiology. We used little words, dead, daddy, sick, sad. Right. But the conversation continues. The children are now uh, 22 and 24. And the conversation continues and the conversation will continue. Their father was, Sam was 41 when he died. And when the children turn 41 and then 42, I imagine this is a conversation we will continue to have. So that grief continues, but it's not, it doesn't have to be debilitating. Yeah. So that being honest and transparent was something that really guided my journey and and to be honest with myself where are the ways i felt i failed sam and where are the things that sam failed to do sure because he didn't let anyone know there's so much shame and stigma around mental health and depression and so much yeah it's feeling like a failure you know if you can feel like a failure and then you can feel like a failure for being depressed right like that you're just especially this is one of the challenges, I will tell you, of being someone like your husband and you who were successful young. In other words, you did the right thing and you got the jobs and you like you aren't used, and I'm not advocating this, but you weren't used to failing in a particular way, right? You didn't know what to do with. I have friends who did fail a lot young and they carried some sort of scars from it, but they also understood that's part of being human and they and they it humbled them. And then when they did find some success doing what they loved. Uh, it was different. And I was more of an achievement monkey as a kid. And when I didn't succeed at a certain age, it was brutal because my old self-image was around. So he probably was struggling with that 
crippling self-image of I've got to be X or I'm of no use. To and any- I do think there's a gendered component oh. because men seem in general, not all, but in, in general seem less comfortable with that level of vulnerability. Oh, totally. Of course. Of course. You know, I was it, afraid. Oh, go ahead. No, no, keep going, please. I was terrified that I would be isolated because of how, how Sam died. That right. because there's so much shame and stigma, it it threatens to reduce the person who died to how they died. Right. Which is totally unfair and inaccurate. Yeah. Yeah. But I was afraid because I thought I would be alienated from my community because of how Sam had died. But I had this urging to tell the truth, supported by the police and the priest who had come to my home to let me know about Sam's suicide. And what I found when I was open and transparent about how Sam died was that people actually grew closer. I was surrounded by people who cared. I would hear stories of theirs about depression or suicide of themselves or a loved one or family member, a grandfather, an uncle, an aunt, two sisters. And so what I found is instead of pushing people away, they, they held me and they would say to me over and over, Charlotte, you have to write the book. Right. There was this sort of sense that people, this is a conversation people want to have. Suicide is the 10th leading cause of death in this country, but we don't like to talk about it. And in fact, yeah, you know, America's, here, I'll just get a little bit. America's uh, life expectancy went down for the first time, you know, like since the the Spanish flu, essentially, or World War I. And it was driven largely by deaths of despair, by guys like who look like me primarily, who were just, who were, you know, weren't feeling successful. And, you know, I've always felt men's relationship to success is inherently suicidal, that it is Mm. inherently like, by which I mean, that is where I know if I'm any good. And if I'm not, not all men, but a lot of men around money and just success. And I understand it. It's, it's wrong. The way some women look, deal with looks, I think is as crippling and suicidal men's around success. So, and no, you don't want to talk about it, but I think, I do think, You know, it's interesting when I write about my own life, which I do, that's what I write about. So, I mean, that's the, that's the material. I feel if it's any good, which, and I do when it succeeds, it's because I understand every moment has a life and death aspect to it, meaning not actually physically dying, but see if this makes sense. Like despair is a kind of like giving up on life. Hopelessness is giving up on life. All the giving up on life that you can do, the sort of focusing in a way that gives up on yourself, that you always have, that that's present all the time and you always kind of have to choose life yes. whether it's actually not jumping from a cliff or whatever or putting the gun to your head but just just being choosing to focus in a way that is life-giving as opposed to life-draining yes and also important to pay attention because there is a physiological component as well and in the same ways that we take care of our physical health we can take care of our mental health but oh. we also can't always stop everything from coming our way it, when we understand that depression and su- and suicide are an illness, then we pay attention in a different way and we can ask for help. I'm so excited that the 988 National Lifeline is up 24-7 everywhere right, and that right. it, you can call it or text it. That is That to me is an indicator that we are becoming better at having these conversations and understanding that 
the types of illnesses that might afflict us. And it's not a character flaw. When you get cancer, it's not a character flaw. <laughs> I know. I know. But you, you know what? Diabe- I people I think people can feel like it is, feel yes. responsible in some way for sure. Well, and because suicide does look like a choice from the outside. And so it is it can be very difficult to unravel that piece, especially because the person with all the clues is now gone and unavailable to us. Yeah. So people kept saying, write the book, write the book. And eventually did. And of course, it's not a book about you saying, screw it. He was a jerk and I'm done with people and men and everybody. There's obviously a bit more to it than that. Um, Before we get to writing the book, part of the challenge, I think also grieving is, and and you were pretty good about this. I mean, you were pretty focused on it is actually letting yourself allow yourself to be happy again because i think that whether your son or your child dies or your husband commits suicide you there's a feeling of owing them your despair <laughs> owing them yeah. that you're not allowed to be happy as if what you, you want them to, you're glad they're dead what's going on but to love again to be just in the world again i think that you have to kind of get over some guilt with that a little bit don't you and how people see and what they think or any of that yeah a hundred percent, all of it. Yeah. It was easier for me to forgive Sam than it was for me to forgive myself. Yeah. Oh, it's... Yeah. That makes total sense. That makes total sense. And, but then I also came to a point when I genuinely felt that honoring Sam's life, I honored his life best by living my life fully. I do know that that's what he would have wanted in his, in his natural healthy state and he and I had had we were together for 17 years and married for 15 so we'd had these types of and I was an estate lawyer so we had had these kinds of conversations right. about right. death and years before he died he had said oh if anything ever happens to me I would want you to get married again and yeah. then after he did die I thought yeah I'm not doing that <laughs> no I can't <laughs> I was loved once. Well, and partly, you know, I was loved once and I will and and I was grateful. Some people don't experience a love like that in their lifetime. And I had it and it was too short, but I had had it. And so I really felt grateful. And also I had two little kids. And so I didn't really need, you know, anything else. I didn't need more work. I didn't need stubble in the sink. I didn't, right. I already had kids missing the target in the bathroom. So I didn't right. really need to work. I, I, I'm good. I'm good. Right. I can take care of myself right. and my kids. I don't really need a man to take care of me. Right. And then I, as you know, I accidentally fell in love with the most eligible widower in town. <laughs> and that was not what I was expecting. Thank God he was a widower in a way. It must have made what well, you, you talk about it, but it makes it so much simpler in one way because you can understand it. You don't have you don't have to if it'd be very easy if you had not lost someone to not know how to be around someone who had, but he mm. he did know how. He did yes. know some that that helped a lot. Well, and we we joke that we don't keep the skeletons in our closets at our house. We put their pictures right up on the wall where <laughs> right. everyone can see them. Right, right. It's I think in some ways for the parents, it's it, for for Tim and me, it was simpler. For the children, I think it is more complicated because they had all said one variation of another, you know, I I wish my other parent was still alive. It would be easier for me if you were divorced. Now, divorce and there's no there's no easy path here. It all sucks in its own unique. Right. Right. 
um, but it is, it's in some ways, it definitely made it simpler for us because we could just scoop up all four of these grieving kids as our own. Right. And, and that was something that was really important to us for us to be able to scoop up all four kids and, and mother and father them in the best ways we could and make our mistakes and come back again and say, I'm here, I'm with you. And, and I'm not leaving you. Yeah. Well, and so you wrote the book and um, that when, when did you start writing it? (laughs) It took me about 10 years to write this book. I started, I I first started writing a blog because a book was too overwhelming. I, but a blog, I thought, okay, I could do this. So about 2011, I started a blog and I had always imagined the book title being Sushi Tuesdays. Right. And so I started a blog called Sushi Tuesdays. And after writing every Tuesday for a couple years, I had a lot of writing, but no coherent story. Right. You had a lot of observations and lessons and, you know, it was good. It was yes. a good, it's a good way to begin to learn what you want to say about it, sort of what your, what your angle on all this is. Yes. And eventually I hired a book coach and she was great in helping me structure the story. Yeah. Yeah. So now I had sort of the scaffolding Yeah. and from there wrote a first draft and then a second draft. And by the time I got to the fifth draft, then I was ready to start pitching agents. Right. And, um, what was besides learning how to write? You're back in school, back in that English class again, <laughs> because nothing prepares you how, how to write a book. A book, no. blogs. I love blogs. I write a lot of short pieces, but I write book length things too. And it's a whole nother animal because you can't hold it in your head. It's too big. It's too it's big. Too big. And the challenge with memoir, I think, is you're you're crafting a story out of your life. Yes. And everything in my life is. You know, the, all the people in my life are precious and important to me, but they yeah. don't necessarily belong in the story. Nope. And it's, it's kind of like, sometimes I imagine it like sculpting. You've got this big block and, and you have to chip away some parts that are really precious and dear to me. And I think as a memoir writer, that is a particular challenge to find the story within our lives. Oh, you know, I, this is what I teach. I teach memoir writing. I, I love it. And yeah, I, I first thing I tell my students is you're not going to tell the truth because the truth is everything. <laughs> you have to, you, you, you are going to feel like you're lying because of all that you leave out. And, mm-hmm. and if you don't leave it out, you will write the most boring story anyone has ever tried to read because no one will read it. So it's a hard thing. You have to really, because you can't, even though it's your, it's not really your life because your life is every single thing you've ever thought and said and did, right? So it's really a work of art that drawn chiseled like you said like like david you know from the stone chiseled in fact it's the art of getting rid of something until you have something (laughs) you keep getting rid of and rid of and then you finally have something worth sharing sometimes people will say oh it was therapeutic to write the book and i'll say no i had therapy for that therapy (laughs) was therapeutic (laughs) writing the book was a matter of craft and like you said learning the craft how do you chisel away the pieces that don't belong you know, I have, I have not myself been to therapy, but I'm writing my own my memoir stuff 
was very therapeutic for me was therapeutic because the thing I had to do to write my own about my own event, and I'm sure you went through this too, is I couldn't see my ever see myself as a victim. And I had to see everything that I wrote about as valuable to me is in some way, because it's from this, even though I, I only would write about things I didn't want to have happen to me at the time, because that's where the interesting stuff is. I couldn't complain. I couldn't be a victim. And so I had to see it as in service to something bigger than just feeling good or bad at the time. And for that reason, it changed my relationship to my past as something that was really, I was suffering usually because of what I didn't understand. Suff you know, for instance, you know, a good example, your perfect example is that the Charlotte who loses Sam, she does not know she's going to meet Tim. She doesn't know it. And so when you write Charlotte in 2007, she doesn't get to know what you know. Right. You have to be there suffering with her. She doesn't know she's going to be okay and she'll be able to sleep and her kids are going to be okay. She doesn't know any of that. And so you have to be there with her suffering, knowing she's going, it's going to work out for her, but be there with her. Cause it'll, it's, you know, everything happens and we don't get to know. And that's a challenge, but I find it very useful to go back and visit my younger self and be able to say to him in my mind, you're going to be okay. But right well, now, that, show, right when you're not okay, let me just show this. And that is one of the great things about memoir is that when you pick it up, you know they survived they whatever live. this is. That's right. That's right. To be able to make sense of it and then to write about it. Yeah, yeah. I I always say it's it's literary fiction's optimistic cousin who just <laughs> who can't leave you in the hole. It can't. You can't just tell the story or say, you, you, you can't write a memoir that says life sucks, doesn't it? You can't do it. <laughs> Why write that story? You know, although you could write a novel that kind of, you can't write a tragic memoir, really. You know, that's such an interesting point, And that is true. I think that's why we like to read memoir because, yeah. or at least why I like to read memoir, because we can't have all the experiences, thank goodness. But, <laughs> um, but to to read stories of resilience and truth and overcoming challenges and managing through the many things life throws our way. Yeah. I, I do enjoy hearing how people get oh, through yeah. all that stuff. Oh yeah. Right. We're all got to get through it. Okay. So the book is Sushi Tuesdays, a memoir of, let me get the, of love, loss and family resilience. And it is that. And as you folks are listening to this, it is available where all fine books are sold. Are, uh, are you looking? So, I got to say, you're a good ambassador for this because you are, you're, you're, you're capable of talking about it, which is going to be so. This is a book that is going to demand conversation, mm -hmm. and that'll be the great gift. Of, people are going to read it, but they're going to want to have the conversation. You're going to talk. You're going to talk to other widows and widow. They will. They're going to want to have that conversation, and you're eager to have it. And so you're a great voice for it. Obviously, uh, not every author they want to just publish the book and say, "Okay, people, do your work." But you seem eager, probably, to go out and talk to these folks. Well, thank you so much. I am because talking about suicide is what makes a difference. Silence does not. And the one thing we know helps is having a conversation. It's true. This is, you know, I, one of the great gifts, I suppose I'm, I mean, I'm oriented this way as a person, but I love teaching memoir. And I always tell my students, like, there is no tragedy you're going to share with me. That's going to scare me. Like, I, I like it all. I mean, I don't want you to go through it, but I am not afraid of it. And I write about it, talk about it. There's nothing to be scared of. Don't be scared of life. There is nothing you can't come back from. Because if you can come back from that, I'm sorry, but it doesn't get much worse than that. It just doesn't get much to really love it. Because if you had kind of been bugged by him, kind of, kind of, you might feel guilty. <laughs> like I was kind of hoping he'd just take off. 
And I didn't plan on it that way, but you didn't even have that, right? No. You actually liked the guy. So I did. I know you did. I know. And so <laughs> it's it's can be rough, but if you can get through it, it's a good message to us all. Good for you. Congratulations. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Oh, but I'm not through with you just yet, Charlotte. I got one more question. And there's no right answers to this, okay? <laughs> there's no right answer. I want you to finish this sentence. If writing, uh, not necessarily this book, but the blogs, everything, if writing, just writing itself has taught you anything, it's taught you what? Tenacity. You weren't tenacious. You weren't tenacious before writing. <laughs> I bet you were, but but you learned it on another level, didn't you? Well, I think Dr. Wallingford from my freshman English class would... <laughs> say she taught me more tenacity than my physics professors did <laughs> but it really taught you the real deeper meaning of tenacity absolutely yeah absolutely it did yeah good for you yeah charlotte this has been a lot of fun congratulations on the book and and good luck with the all the conversations you're going to have thank you so much the pleasure has been mine i'm really grateful to be here Tenacity, tenacity, got to have it. However you describe it, I think it's a good thing to have and writing will teach it to you. A lot of things will, but writing will for sure. I want to thank my producer, RJ Jeffries. Thank you, my friend. I want to thank all of you out there for listening in. You know, make a choice. Make a choice, make a good choice. Choose something you love. What you got to do, choose something you love to do. Surround yourself with the people you love. Read the things you love. Write the things you love. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. So go ahead. Until next week, go find something you love to do and do it. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.